Welcome. It's the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. The Fan Checkdown is presented by ProLine Plus, the only sportsbook where 100% of the profits go back to Ontario. Coming up later in the show, uh, Dante Whitner, former Buffalo Bill, former Cleveland Brown, former San Francisco 49er. He's also an analyst for NBC Sports Bay Area. Um, he will join us in the next block. So tonight, Donovan, is NFL Honors. And we will find out up to five players of the finalists who will get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. We'll also find out about the award winners for this year. And Keegan-Michael Key will throw around a couple jokes. We'll all have a good time. I'm trying to figure out who we who it will be at the expense of this year. Um, usually there's one that they pick on, but we'll see. First of all, how are you today? Because you haven't even gotten a word in edgewise here in the minute and a half that we've been on or whatever it is. I'm great. We're only a couple sleeps away from the Super Bowl. It's kind of that double-edged sword, right? Like I ha- I did a, a hit uh, with our friends in Calgary on the morning show, and they asked me how I was feeling about this week. Like they're like, is it is it a long week? And it was it was Matty Rose and Patrick Dumas. And they're asking me, like, is it is it a long week? And my response was, it is. it does tend to be a long week, long two weeks, really, in between um, the conference championship games and then the Super Bowl. But I, I said, I, I kind of, you know, hedged my, my bet here and said, well, it is, but it's also, it sucks because football season's almost over. That's right. So, uh, but we've had plenty to talk. It's not like we've had a lack of storylines when it comes to whether it be coordinator hires, head coaching hires. Like, there's been a lot out there, which is, again, you know, that's a, that's part and parcel with the NFL news cycle. Um, let's do the Hall of Fame conversation because we were actually planning on doing this a while ago when they announced the finalists. And we never did it. But if there was ever a day to do it, it would be today as we were going to find out tonight who could be going in. So here are the list of the finalists. Uh, Cornerback Eric Allen, defensive end Jared Allen, offensive tackle Willie Anderson, uh, uh, guard Jari Evans, uh, defensive end Dwight Freeney, tight end Antonio Gates, safety Rodney Harrison, uh, Punt returner, kick returner, wide receiver, Devin Hester, wide receiver, Torrey Holt, wide receiver, Andre Johnson, defensive end, Julius Peppers, running back, Fred Taylor, wide receiver, uh, Reggie Wayne, linebacker, Patrick Willis, and safety, Darren Woodson. It's a good list. Um, It's not as top end heavy as we have seen in recent years. But it's still a very good list. Lots of Hall of Fame worthy guys on there. Do you have five that you think are the ones getting in? Like there are, there are, there's at least one lock here, and frankly, I think there should be two. Um, but when you look at, let's say, five or however many you think are getting in, who do you have on your list? I have five, and so just so people know, you know. When they do the voting, the number gets pared down. So you give your list, you know, of, of 15, and then you, you give your list of 10, so on and so forth. So essentially, the fact that there are some, I think, lock candidates that are strong that are going to be on everyone's list really makes it about who else is going to be on that list. And can you move along the process 
long enough to get the amount of votes. I, I do think there are a couple locks for me in this class. Tony Gates is a lock. Lock. One of the best tight ends of all time. One of the best pass-catching tight ends, I should say, of all time. And you know, it was part of the reason why there's a movement of trying to find guys who are like, meh, at basketball. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. power forward, but hey. <laughs> that's like, what we hear all the time now. Can, Former basketball player turned tight end. That's right. <laughs> so I think he is a lock. I also think another lock for me is Julius Peppers. Julius Peppers is a lock. Also a uh, former basketball player as well. Correct. And he's had success for multiple franchises, you know, got himself a Super Bowl. So I think he's in that conversation. And I've got three others that I'll fill it out with. Reggie Wayne, okay, I also I, believe. I, I didn't have Reggie Wayne on mine. See, I think... I think he should be a lock. The, the only, so I will preface this by saying, I think Reggie Wayne is a Hall of Famer, but there's another wide receiver that has been on, has been a finalist for too long. A guy that I think should have gotten a long time ago, and that's Torrey Holt. See, I don't have Torrey Holt. I do. I, I would not be upset if he got in, but I think people assume Reggie Wayne was the sidekick because he played with Marvin Harrison. And although that was true at the beginning, by the end, Reggie Wayne was the better receiver. I don't know if Torrey Holt was ever the best receiver on the Rams. I'm thinking if you need me to do everything, go across the middle, go deep, move the chains. I think Isaac Bruce. Mm -hmm. Who's already in. Was already in was that guy. I think the most dangerous offensive player on the team was Marshall Falk. Who's already in. So I, I think... Torrey Holt was on a great offense at a great time. But if we want to compare him against other wide receivers, was was the peak of Torrey Holt better than the peak of Andre Johnson? Andre Johnson. I don't think so. Andre Johnson was Andre Johnson is a is it shouldn't be a t- I think eventually he does get in. Um but the thing with Andre Johnson is, is I think he was so hampered by the fact that he never had good quarterbacks throwing to him. And that's not his fault because he was still great. But, like, when we look at Torrey Holt's career, um, the guy was the guy was a monster. His, his second year in the league, he had 1,635 yards. Then he followed that up with two straight 1,300-yard seasons, then another 16, almost 1,700-yard season, then back-to-back 13s, and then back-to-back 11s. And then 796, 722 to finish up his career with St. Louis and then the final year with Jacksonville. Um to me, to me, Tory Holt should get in. And I uh, again, it's nothing to take away from the other two guys, because I also think there's a, a couple of other guys that I have on my list that are worthy of it. Um I think Reggie Wayne should get in probably next year but I think it's Tory Holt's time because he's waited way too long. And I hate that being a thing because I also hate putting limits on how many guys get in. If they're Hall of Fame worthy, they should be Hall of Fame worthy. It doesn't matter if it's five or 10 or two. Well, these guys better get in because there are some quarterbacks coming. And if it's going to be a numerical conversation, there's going to be receivers coming who may not have had the same level of impact in the game, but are going to have comparable if not better numbers 
I want to get to your list, but the one guy that I would stand on the table for if I was in that room is Devin Hester. Okay. I didn't have him on my list either. Because special teams players they, generally yeah. are not. But talking about someone who's a game changer, someone who was one of the best players on his team, and he only played, really, on specials and still was a weapon, tried to kick away from him, didn't matter. He led off the Super Bowl taking the ball house Mm -hmm. in a loss, mind you. Mm -hmm. But I I think Hester was a game breaker. Kickoffs don't happen anymore. Like, they're just a thing to get us to and from commercial break at this point. But get us to the 25-yard line. Hester was was wild in that everyone knew that often the Bears' most dangerous weapon didn't play on offense. He played on special teams. Hey, he didn't play. I was gonna say didn't play on offense or defense. Although, I mean, they had some pretty good players on that defense. Um, so, who, you, who do you got? So, is that your five? Was that five? Um. Well, I well, I've got Wayne in. Wayne. Peppers for sure. Yeah, Gates, Gates for sure. Uh, I got Hester. You need a f- what? Who's your five? Well, this is where I think it's. I think we might agree on this one. I have a feeling. Oh, go, Patrick Willis. No, really, eh? See, hey, listen. If he gets in, I'm not gonna be upset. There's a bunch of people on this list. I would not be upset. And if uh, Tory Holt gets in, uh, I'm not upset. Andre Johnson, if he gets in, I'm not upset. I would have. Jared Allen. I have Jari Evans in as well. Okay. Well, there you go. So my, so, okay. So my five are Antonio Gates, Julius Peppers, Tory Holt, Patrick Willis, Jari Evans. So Jari Evans, the, it, it comes down to Jari Evans and Willie Anderson. Jari Evans has uh, four Pro Bowl appearances. He has a Super Bowl. He was regarded as one of the best guards um, while playing, uh, namely for the New Orleans Saints. But Patrick Willis, here's here's where the Patrick Willis thing will hurt him among these other guys. He didn't play for long enough for some people. He only played eight years. He was an all-pro in five of those eight years. And he just decided, like, I just don't want to play anymore. Like, going out on top. Now, he doesn't have a Super Bowl. He has a Super Bowl appearance. But when we talk about... When I talk about getting into the Hall of Fame, I want this player to... There has to be a moment where they were, you know, for a guy who's played as uh, for as little time as Patrick Willis, was he ever among the top three best players in the league? No. And you don't think so, eh? No. Oh, man. I don't know. I, I don't know if you could say any linebacker other than Ray Lewis or Mike Ditka, maybe Brian Erlacher in his prime was the best ah, player geez. in the Player, so we're like Patrick not Willis a running back, really not good, a quarterback, man. not a. Rec- What's your favorite Patrick Willis moment? What's the Patrick Willis moment you're going to tell your kids about? I'm, I'm just it talking, doesn't exist, but I, but I don't think that. But I think that matters less for a defensive player because, like, outside of a guy maybe returning a, a touchdown, like a, a guy returning a, an interception for a touchdown, how many other players, defensive players, have that moment? Like Reggie White, Michael Strahan, Deion Sanders. Well, like they, they all have But, but, Deion, but Deion Sanders is among that class of... he. Some of his biggest moments are punt returns, kick returns, but something you, that but those guys could, don't do. Correct, but you could remove those and he'd still be a Hall of Famer. 
hundred percent. But that's what I'm saying with Patrick Willis is I don't think he needs those because he was such a dominant player. So my criteria, and I think what we're learning here is philosophically, we look at the hall of fame differently. The hall of fame at its core is a museum. It is a collection of people that we want to stand up so that we can remember different eras of the game. And so if you went down a specific wing of an era, you should be able to tell the story of the game at that time based off of those players being in it. I think I could tell the story of the NFL just fine without Patrick Willis. Jared Allen, for example, was the, the best rusher for two different franchises uh, in his prime. Antonio Gates changed the position. Devin Hester, never seen anything like it. I, Patrick Willis... It was nice, but it, like, is there a Patrick Willis effect? Like, did Drake Greenlaw grow up hoping to be a Niners linebacker because of Patrick Willis? I don't think so. I think the effect was that linebackers became significantly more athletic after Patrick Willis showed what, like, Patrick Willis was a freak of nature. Patrick Willis was a machine. And I think that, I think that linebackers, they, they're, they're built differently because now of Patrick Willis, because he could do so many things. Whereas for the longest time, and you know, this linebackers were, Hey, you know, stop the run and, you know, rush the passer. Now linebackers are asked to do so much more because of how the game has changed. And part and parcel is yes. How the game has changed has changed the linebacking position. But I also think that Patrick Willis being an absolute freak physically also changed the way that linebackers should be looked at. You think Patrick Willis changed the game more than Junior Seau or Ray Lewis or no, Brian Urlacher? No, but those guys are all Hall of Famers, though. Correct. But I think but, they changed the game. I don't think I don't think Patrick Willis changed the game. Oh man, I don't know. Well, we can agree to disagree. I mean, we've disagreed enough. <laughs> but I think Patrick Willis L- is absolutely L- locked Lance in. Lance is shaking his head. Uh, he's a he's a Niners. He's a Niners. Fan. He's a Niners fan. So I guess that would be at yes. me. Yes, that's at you. During his eight-year career, he was one of the best defensive players in the game. Period. Defensive Rookie of the Year. He was on the NFL's all-decade team for the 2010s. He was a top defensive player. And for that, he's a Hall of Famer. For, his, for that decade, he was a top player, and he gets in the Hall of Fame. So he, he was on the all-decade team, and he only played eight you, years. Why didn't you just say that? That was a much stronger argument than what you said. I think, Lance, I think you win. Lance wins. I think he, all of my over. points are valid. Lance wins. You just you just don't want Lance to turn off your mic. That's all. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, listen, I'm, I'm getting paid the same regardless. So feel free, Lance. Um, okay, so I mean, at the end, here's what we have determined: there are a lot of guys that are on this list that are worthy of getting into the Hall of Fame, which means that they got it right. The 15 that are there are very accurate, and we didn't even talk about you know Darren Woodson or you know what I find Rodney fascinating Harrison. about this list is the tack-on years at the end where you don't even remember players were on a team. For Von Miller, it will be the Bills era. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Dwight Freeney as a Detroit Lion? No. Or a Seattle Seahawk? No, definitely not Or Atlanta Falcon? No. Or Arizona Car? I don't Uh, remember any of Atlanta, yes. Atlanta, yes. For whatever reason, I remember that, but not the other ones. You think of Dwight Freeney as an Indianapolis Colt. I don't remember. Do you remember remember Andre Johnson as a Tennessee Titan? I don't. No. Well, Houston Texans, right? That's where you remember Andre Johnson. Wait, yeah. you say Indianapolis? Yes. No, I, I didn't say Indianapolis. I said I, a Tennessee Titan. I remember him as an Indianapolis Colt. That was again, into that for whatever reason. 
In 2016, he stayed in division. He only played in one division his entire career. He just bounced around. He was just Texans, he, Colts, <laughs> Titans. He knew it was like, I, I can win this one year because it's not, it's not very good for uh, Jared Allen had one of those, didn't he? Like in a weird, like you don't remember him in one of those jerseys. Oh, uh, he has a couple. He was a Chicago bear and he was a yes. Carolina Panther. Okay. See, I, I would have got those obviously known for being a Minnesota Viking. And wearing number 69, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right on that? I have no idea. I feel like I'm I, right. It sounds that. right. It sounds like something Jared Allen would do. He also took up curling, which is also pretty incredible. Have you ever tried curling? I have, yeah. I've never tried it. I heard it's insanely difficult. I, I don't know. If okay, maybe not insanely, insanely but difficult. it requires more physical exertion. It, it is more difficult than it looks. I will say that. Yeah. Okay. I think we're on the same page there. Uh, Rodney Harrison, another one that we did not talk about. Well, here's a question for you, mm. and we've known historically the answer, but should performance-enhancing drugs matter? Mm. It is the driver of the conversation in baseball. It is not a part of the conversation at all in football. You know what? I don't care about performance-enhancing drugs. You know why? You do whatever the heck you want to your body. You want to ruin it. You want to enlarge your heart. Wait, wait. Like That's up to you. But wait. Do you not care about rules? No, well, this is, this, competitive this, balance? Is, this is where I'm getting to. <laughs> I think that performance enhancing drugs should be allowed. You know why? Because it makes a better product that I get to watch. Guys are healthier. I mean, in terms of recovering from injury, um, they're bigger, faster, stronger. I don't care. Let any, everybody juice up. Doesn't bother me. All right. Well, <laughs> where, where do you draw the line? If, it's one thing to, you know, get some growth hormone. It's another to have, like, a designer drug that is full of synthetics that, you know, has not been tested by anyone. And the problem is when you open that Pandora's box, competitive people will continue to try and push the envelope. I, I, and, and it won't just stick to your favorite NFL team and do your best. It's going to trickle down to college, which trickles down to high school. And then all of a sudden, Johnny is trying to juice to make the JV team. Like the kids that are getting um, Tommy John surgery just because in as 13-year-olds or whatever. Yeah, that's kind of messed up. No, I think that I think that they should be able to use whatever they want in terms of recovering from injury and, and, and trying to prevent injury because I think that makes a better product. Like, do I want to see a bunch of... I don't know. I kind of like home runs in baseball. In football, though, like, you, again, okay, so Patrick Willis was in that conversation of being, like, the most shredded human being that you've ever seen in your life. Like, 1% body fat, it looked like. But he wasn't on, I mean, I don't think he was on steroids. So, if he was, he probably would have got caught, because we know how the end of, oh, you look, the picture of Patrick Willis just came out, and he looks really shredded. Uh, sir, can you pee into this cup tomorrow? Like, so I, I don't I don't think he was. So I think you can do that without the steroids. I think in terms of for your recovery and all that kind of stuff, I think that is where it should be allowed. So you're all about the proposed enhanced games, which is a planned international sports event. Yes. Where athletes will not be subject to drug testing. It's headed Are you by not gonna Aaron watch D'Souza, that? Are you not Australian gonna watch base. that? I mean I would watch it. I, I will watch it if the best athletes in the world are competing in it like they are in the Olympics right now. But if it's just a bunch of guys who 
went ham at their local GNC. No, I'm not watching that. I see. I think there's some. I think there's. I think there's some intrigue in watching that too, because you can see the people that think that they're really good at it just because they got all juiced up. There's an athletic component to this too. The the interesting thing about this broader conversation, and we're having it with very little nuance, but you can make the argument that almost anything is a performance enhancing drug. Like when you look at the list of things, except that are banned weed, weed is not a performance enhancing drug. I'll tell you that. But I mean, there's been athletes who got in trouble for taking Sudafed because of some of the benefits that a may, it may have. So whether it's creatine or androstein dione, remember that? Like so many things can be considered a performance enhancing drug. Just where we draw the line on what is yeah. acceptable and what isn't is incredibly arbitrary. Well, always draw the line on how people can make money on it. And then that's usually where you figure out where the line is. Usually. The government here figured out how to make money off of marijuana. And now it's legal. Go figure. Shocking. Uh, do you want to do the awards? Do we have enough time? Y- yes. Okay, we can we can kind of roll through these. Uh, Coach of the year. D'Amico Ryan. Same. Defensive player of the year. This is tough. I know. I struggled. I went between two. I went with TJ Watt. 19 sacks. The guy was a beast. He's, again, another guy that you have to account for. It'll be the second time that he's won it. Uh, mean Joe Green was the only other Steeler to win it twice. I'm going to say Deron Bland. Okay. If you score can... more touchdowns than offensive players on your team, like that's a huge impact. Yeah. The thing is, is how good was he in coverage? Uh, but it's super impressive what he did. Like that's where I, you know, it's the performance of the year, right? In terms statistically, that is probably harder than 19 sacks. Yes. Because other, many other guys have done it. Nobody's done it. And I don't think anyone's going to do it again. Um, offensive player of the year. Not the MVP. Offensive player of the year. CJ Stroud. Wow, eh? Yeah. I went not offensive rookie of the year, just so we're clear. Oh, sorry. I thought you, I thought you were just... I thought no, you offensive were player of the year. I went Christian McCaffrey. Yes, I agreed. Sorry, I thought you were saying rookie of the year. So here's a question. Can can a player like Josh Allen, who had 40 total touchdowns, more than more than 40 total touchdowns, more than anybody, win offensive player of the year and not MVP? In your mind. It's interesting, right? Yes. Because you're kind of doing the same thing with Christian McCaffrey. Yes. Uh, assuming you don't have him as your MVP. Um, I have McCaffrey there. Offensive rookie of the year, you have Stroud. I do. Did you struggle with this one? I did. With Puka Nakua. Correct. Yeah. I, the thing the thing that... The reason why I was... Lead, I had originally written down Puka Nakua. And the reason was he came in as a fifth-round pick. Nobody thought that he was going to be what he was. I don't think you could have. And then he ends up breaking the rookie receiving record. And he was incredible. He overtook Cooper Cup, who was widely regarded as one of the best receivers in the NFL. How many receivers had a better year? Tyreek, maybe, maybe CD Lamb. Two? That's probably it. And that's but then I look at he's not playing the toughest position in sports. And CJ Stroud, if he had not missed two games, we would not be having that conversation. It would be CJ Stroud going away, I think. Well, the other funny thing is how many quarterbacks had a better year than CJ Stroud? Yeah, well, that's another thing too. <laughs> Lamar Jackson, you know, the Brock Purdy truthers, but again. I think that's it. It's a short list, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, your boy Josh Allen? Yes. He's in the conversation for sure. Uh, defensive rookie of the year? Not close for me. Will Anderson. Yeah, it was Will. Will Anderson, let's not forget, 
Remember how many people ridiculed the Houston Texans for trading up to get Will Anderson? And then their first round pick that they ended up dealing to Arizona ends up being later than the pick they got from the Browns? Let's be a lesson. People clowned the Detroit Lions draft yep. and the Houston Texans draft. Both looked pretty good. Yeah, they were kind of good. I, I think they will both be happy with what they ended up with, and their futures look pretty good. Uh, this, for some people, is tough. For me, I don't think it is. Comeback player of the year? It's not tough. It's not. It, it's DeMar Hamlin. The guy died on the field. Like, that's – if you come back if – you, if you step foot on a football field after that, I think you win comeback player of the year. Without without even thinking about it. The other nominees have said it's DeMar Hamlin. Like, yeah. It's DeMar Hamlin. Joe Flacco and Tua Tagovailoa and Baker Mayfield. There's one more. They should, no disrespect to the AP, they should rename the award after DeMar Hamlin. Yeah, probably. Probably. Okay, and MVP. I changed mine. Oh, boy. Two? Josh Allen. Really? That team was six and six and dead in the water. They were done. Wait, when did you change it? I had I at halftime of the AFC Championship game. No, no, no. I've been saying it. No, I've been saying it that it was Lamar Jackson for the longest time. But then I look at the numbers and you talk about people are like, oh, the interception numbers. Josh Allen had three percent of his throws were turnover worthy throws. He had 18 interceptions. Lamar Jackson's turnover worthy throws were like 2.8%, and he only had seven. Dak Prescott had 2.5% of his throws were turnover-worthy throws. He had 12 interceptions. Brock Purdy had 2.8% of his throws or something like that were turnover-worthy throws. He had 12 interceptions. Josh Allen had bad interception luck, and we talk about most valuable player. He did not have a defense for half of the year, and that team was out of the playoffs by week 13 when they had a bye and he dragged them into the playoffs by not getting any production from Stefan Diggs. He got very little production from a lot of his other guys. And Josh Allen carried that team, in my opinion, to win a division title. It's a nice story. The MVP is Lamar Jackson. The best he player probably will be. on the best team by far going away in a new offense, changed offense. How about Josh Allen's offensive coordinator getting fired in the middle of the season? I would say part of that was probably on Josh Allen. No, uh, if the offense was, and and part of it was also a, a scapegoat. But the part of the reason why they were a 500 team is because Josh Allen threw away a game against the Jets. He essentially threw away a game against the Patriots. I, I think he has a compelling case. But this award goes to the best player on the best team. Sorry, the best quarterback on the best. Yeah, team. Yeah, we need to change the how that is done but yes i i that's how people will vote yes i agree uh okay we gotta take a break when we come back uh he's a pro bowl safety former buffalo bill cleveland brown san francisco 49er and now analyst for nbc sports bay area he is dante whitner as you like to call him dante hitner he'll join us when we come back matt marchese donovan bennett this is the fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet radio network Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. 
Welcome back. It's a fan check down on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. And joining us on the line, he is a Niners analyst for NBC Sports Bay Area. He's a former Pro Bowl safety um, with the Bills, uh, my favorite team, the Cleveland Browns, and the San Francisco 49ers. Also, Donovan, I don't know if you know this, but his first career interception was against none other than Tom Brady. Dante Whitner. Dante Whitner joins us on the program. Dante, that, how Tom? are you? I'm I'm great. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. Okay. Did you so- talk to him afterwards? <laughs> like, don't don't throw at me. Don't throw at me. Dante, did you did you talk back to Tom Brady after that interception? Like that's a big one. If there's anybody you want to have on the mantle as the first career interception, Tom Brady's a pretty good one to have, isn't it? Absolutely. I remember to play like it was yesterday. I was covering a tight end on a breakout route. He got underneath me. I did a speed turn. Jumped the route. We were losing in the fourth quarter. We hadn't beaten Tom Brady and the Patriots in a number of years, and that was going to be our first win. But former cornerback Nate Clements clipped somebody. We brought it back to like the 15-yard line. We didn't get in. I didn't get the opportunity to talk smack to Tom Brady, but I still have that ball on the mantle. That's it. I love that. As as a as a member of Bills Mafia myself, I have to ask this question. How did you enjoy your time in Buffalo? Because, listen, I know that Buffalo gets a bad rap because, you know, there's a lot of snow and it gets really cold in the winter. But what was it like playing at the Ralph in front of those, let's call them, absolutely crazy fans? Well, I was young at the time. I think I was 20 to 24 years old when I was drafted and played in Buffalo. And, you know, it was well documented that we lost a lot of games during that time. But one thing that remained constant was the fans. They always came out. They were out there in the cold, out in snowstorms, helping dig out snow long before Josh Allen came and they started winning. So, you know, a lot of praise goes to those Buffalo Bills fans, and it's just devastating how they lost in the playoffs this year. They were definitely one of the teams that could have contended for the championship. Before we break down this year's big game, there are maybe some Bills fans who've jumped on the bandwagon a little bit you know, recently and are exasperated with the fact that they're close, but they haven't been able to get over the hump. Give them some perspective. When you look at the program uh, that Bean and McDermott have built, uh, what sticks out to you and and how close do you think they are? Well, I left in 2011, and that's really not that long ago when you think about franchises and turnarounds. During that time, the Patriots were the top team in the NFL. They were consistently winning. Tom Brady, Randy Moss, and then the Buffalo Bills, we were beat up on consistently. So to put it in perspective, it takes sometimes you're going to experience pain when you're striving for a championship. You're going to get close, but you're not going to win it. And I dealt with that in San Francisco. We made it to three consecutive NFC championships, and two of them we lost. Two because we fumbled two punt returns when we played awesome on offense and defense. Another when Richard Sherman tipped the ball in Seattle to beat us. And then we lost a heartbreaker in the Super Bowl. So when you're contending for championships, you're not going to always get there. But you want to be one of those final four. And the Buffalo Bills have a bright future. Let's talk about San Francisco, who is certainly in their window contending for championships. And I think the player or person whose legacy could change the most on Sunday is Kyle Shanahan, and this could be redemption for him and change the way we talk uh, about him. 
a team that is built, ready, young quarterbacks, skill position players, and difference makers all over the place. They've been building towards this for a while. What do you think the level of anxiety is within the organization, knowing that they've been close, but they haven't been able to hoist the Lombardi yet? It's probably impossible to describe the level of anxiety that they feel throughout their organization. They've been close, but no cigar. A lot of these players were drafted, they were developed, and they're performing at a high level. A lot of their pro bowlers and all pros and leaders on their team was drafted and homegrown. Um, so they've grown together. They've been through the battle. They're battle-tested. They lost their quarterback last year when they thought they had a grand opportunity to, to get the Super Bowl, and they had to wait 365 days to get back to the NFC Championship and then falling down 17. So the anxiety level is high. I think that the key to this game for both sides is who's able to manage that anxiety and who's able to make it feel just like a normal game as soon as possible. Um, the team that can handle that, that can handle the fanfare, that can handle the famous celebrities on the sideline, that can go out there, think the game, and play it and make it simple, that'll be the Super Bowl champion. So, yeah, the level of anxiety is very high, and so is the sense of urgency. So you talk about that anxiety. You've dealt with it. Like you, you've played in the Super Bowl uh, at the end of the 2020-12 season, and you know what is that? What is that like? That week for a player, um, trying to you know you're you're juggling things, and, and and maybe it wasn't as much of a circus as it is now. Although I feel like I remember it being still a circus then, but. You know, when you look back on that week and, and trying to prepare, like you're being pulled in multiple different directions. What is the week leading up to the Super Bowl like for a player? Well, it's a good thing that Kyle Shanahan and a lot of the smart head coaches get out in front of it and do the install during that bye week. So they do it Wednesday, first and second down install, Thursday, third down, Friday and Saturday special situations so that when you get to the actual site, you can keep the distractions at a minimum. You know that it's going to be a fury when you get there Monday and Tuesday for media day. But the smart teams, the wise teams, the teams that have been there before and the teams whose ultimate goal is to cut all the distractions, focus on the main thing, and that's football, that's usually the Super Bowl champion. So it's a frenzy. It's very um, you know, exciting, but there's a lot of distractions that a lot of people don't even talk about. The family calling for tickets, family hotel when you're going to eat with your family, who you're going to see. It's a lot of different things that can get you distracted. So hopefully the 49ers are on their P's and Q's and won't allow those distractions to steal uh, part of their legacy. Who's the bad guy? Like, who do you have to appoint? What is it mom? Is it dad, uncle, brother? Just to say, hey, talk to them. I only get 15 tickets. I'm, I'm watching film. Who's that deputy, if you will, to manage all that other stuff so you can manage getting ready for the game? Well, that varies for every player out there, but you have to have that individual that the calls go directly to so that you can be minimum with all the distractions off the field. For me, it was my mom. She was there. She was handling tickets. She was handling hotel accommodations, dinner reservations. So I had that person on my side. A lot of the guys don't have that person. A lot of the guys handle it on their own. Some guys try to sneak out and have a little fun during the week. That can't help you win the Super Bowl. So, the 49ers have been here before. They have a lot of great leaders, and I don't expect that to be a problem for them. Donovan, who would be the one taking your 
who would be the bad person in your family to do that? Oh, mom Dukes. Yeah, yeah, my no mom. No question. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. question. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know why? Because the moms are looking out for the best interest of us. Like, you know what? They don't need the distractions. Like, my dad, way too nice. Be like, you know what? Yeah, you can have a ticket and you can have a ticket. No, no, no. No, no. Mom puts, she lays her foot down. Oh, my, my brother's getting ready for a, a wedding list. Never mind 15 <laughs> tickets to Alliance Stadium. And she's like, oh, no, that person not getting a plus one. So definitely in Absolutely. most families, it, it, it's it's mama bear for sure. You got that. Dante, I think you made the right decision. Uh, Dante Whitner, Niners analyst for NBC Sports Bay Area, former Pro Bowl safety joining us here on the fan check down. So I want to ask you a question about the Niners defense. As someone who played the position, um, as a safety, you know, as we know, Talanoa Hufanga was lost for the year uh, about midway point of the season. And it feels like ever since then, we've kind of talked a little bit more about a leaky Niners secondary. How big of a loss was that for the Niners? And how do you think that they over they need to overcome that um, in this Super Bowl? Maybe it's it's not as big of a loss only because, you know, the, the Chiefs have not really stretched the field a lot over the course of the playoffs and, frankly, over the course of the season. Um, how do they overcome that loss against a guy like Patrick Mahomes? Well, when I look at the Kansas City Chiefs offense, I don't really get dazzled. This isn't the Kansas City offense that we're accustomed to seeing. Of course, they have a great quarterback and Patrick Mahomes, and they have a great future Hall of Fame uh, tight end in Travis Kelsey but they've only scored over 30 points three times this year. It's their defense that's leading the team. Um, but when you look at the 49ers' safety and losing Talanoa Hufunga, all-pro player from the previous year, he lost his instincts, his ability to, you know, clog up some of those run games from depth, um, those run gaps from depth, uh, make plays on the football. I think he had six interceptions last year. But the 49ers' defense is leaking because of their inside um, defensive line play, and that's everybody on the defensive line. That's the, the, the edge defenders and Nick Bosa and Chase Young not setting the edge and being aware and getting blocked by wide receivers and not taking two in the running game. That's guys going under black blocks. That's uh, not getting off of blocks. Some of it is on Steve Wilkes where the defensive line is a little stagnant at times where he should play some, some, some run games up there and some run blitzes. Um, you know, so these are all things that are correctable. It's just up to the players in the moment to correct these things, communicate at a high level. And then the most important thing is they have to tackle better. There were some absolutely awful plays that they gave up versus the Detroit Lions. It's not their brand and standard of football. They have to play their best and really take Pacheco out of the game and rush um, the quarterback properly, not allow him to play playground football, and then stay connected to Travis Kelsey, and they'll have an opportunity to win this game. So if I'm Steve Wilkes this week and I'm thinking about potentially beating Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, what do you do against Mahomes? Do you bring pressure? Do you stack the box against Pacheco? Do you, you know, put a roof on the defense like those Staley defenses did, hoping he doesn't push the ball? How do you make him of all players play left-handed primarily it starts with disguise and when i say disguise i mean the depth in the week with your safeties making everything look the same the mannerisms of your nickel back in your corners their depth so that he doesn't get easy pre-snap reads and be able to get the ball out quick and then it comes down to how are you rushing him if you're rushing forward, they have to run e evenly distributed across the line of scrimmage, and they can't have disparities in vertical and lateral gaps. 
you have to almost two-gap it like you rush Jalen Hurts and the way that you rush Lamar Jackson to really cave the pocket in. And when he does escape, at no point can you allow him to escape uh, north. So he likes to go south to, to invite you in, to create space to go north, attack the defense, and then find Kelsey or the receivers running in the defense. You have to plaster. When he starts to run around, you have to plaster the guy in your zone or who you're covering, man, and you have to be relentless with your effort because that's where he kills you when he goes to playground football. So this game is going to come down to rushing him properly, every guy not being selfish and going AWOL, and then it's going to come down to pre-snap looks, holding the disguise as long as possible, and then yards after the catch. You have to take Travis Kelsey out of the game. At no point do you look back at the quarterback you have to stay connected to Travis Kelsey until his eyes looks back, and then you play through his hands and eyes. That's the only way to beat the Kansas City Chiefs and slow down their offense. Donovan, you said for um, Patrick Mahomes to play left-handed. We've seen him throw left-handed, yeah, too, so enough. I don't know if that even works anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Don, I wanted to ask you about Brock Purdy because as someone who played the defensive side of the ball, you, you can see when there's a good quarterback and you can see that there's a quarterback that is just, well, he's okay. And you know, guys are schemed open, which again, I don't believe that that is the case here, but what do you say to the critics that believe that Brock Purdy is only um, the, the, you know, image of Kyle Shanahan and not that Brock Purdy is a good quarterback. Watch the tape, (laughs) watch the tape. And if you, can't see that the kid is special and he's doing next-level things, top-tier quarterback things, then you're probably not qualified to understand what's going on on the tape. Because when I watch it, and even in some of those tough situations and high-pressure situations, say, for example, versus the Green Bay Packers, when you have to move the middle read player in a four-man rush drop seven, and Jawan Jennings has maybe half a second to clear the underneath backside hook player, and you know that you're about to get hit, but your eyes are going left because you're moving the linebacker and you throw it in there trusting your guy, that's next level. And then another throw he had to Jawan Jennings in front of one DB and in back of the other while getting hit in a high-pressure situation. Having the instincts to be able to take off or run for three first downs versus the Detroit Lions, I don't know if this is game manager type stuff, guys. Getting the ball out, you're supposed to be a game manager and get the ball out quickly. Patrick Mahomes does that. And they both improvise. So next-level quarterback play, and he's going to solidify himself as a top-three quarterback in the NFL if he goes out there, plays well, wins the MVP of the Super Bowl, and brings in Lombardi back to San Francisco. I don't know if anybody is, um, you know, that's doubting Brock Cody should be qualified to speak on his game ever again. Let's talk about the defense he's going to face in Steve Spagnola, who has had some championship-level game plans, not just this postseason, historically, in, in what he's done in big games as a coordinator. Kyle Shanahan, great about using the defense's rules against them. When you go up against Spags, it's tough sometimes to figure out what the rules are. So aggressive, it's almost like he's blitzing to make this a quick death. Either you're going to score or we're going to get off the field. What would you look for as some of those keys and tells on what he's doing exotically defensively? Well, first and foremost, their defense is one of the best, if not the best, in the NFL. The downfall to the defense since Week 10, they've given up 4.8 yards per carry. Uh, The 49ers are number one in yards per carry in the outside zone, and the Kansas City Chiefs are 31st in the NFL at defending the outside zone. So that'll be a key matchup. Christian McCaffrey trying to get to the edge of the defense. 
But one way that you decipher and figure out what they're playing in coverage is you go to a lot of empty sets. When you go empty sets, you can't disguise a lot. You have to get down and cover guys. You pretty much have to show your coverages. That's what the Jacksonville Jaguars did to them. That's what a lot of teams do to figure out. Another thing you do is you use the, the, the interchangeable pieces that Kyle Shanahan has with Kyle Juszczyk that can play multiple positions, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. And what you do is you go 22 personnel, you go big tight ends, and you run the football at them. They can't come with a lot of different blitzes when you're in heavy personnel, and that will really be the key to the game. I think the weakness on the Kansas City Chiefs is their deep, I mean, is their safety. Justin Reed is a phenomenal player. They do multiple things with him. Use him as a linebacker, a deep safety. He blitzes a lot, I believe, 30 blitzes on the season. And they also have another all-pro corner in Trent McDuffie, number 22, who moves inside, outside. He blitzes a lot. I believe he has 61 blitzes. So it's all going to be on identifying pressure, not getting fooled by the pre-snap look. When they're a safety in the middle of the field, he's going to play cover two. When he's showing cover two, he's going to be a middle field safety. So Brock has to be patient. The offensive line has to be patient with passing off guys. They'll show you a blitz from the left, bring it from the right. They'll show you blitz, drop guys in coverage. So just being patient, passing off, giving them protection. And if they give them protection, I think they'll be able to exploit this defense throwing the football. Oh man, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I got I got chills just thinking go. about all that stuff. Can we can we watch the game with you? <laughs> like, can we watch the all 22? What do you want? Do you want the high end zone? Yeah. Do you want which which? Guys, do you want the mid level? All day long. I'm so dedicated to it. I watch three four hours of film, all 22 every day. Jot notes down. So when I answer these questions, I just have a picture in my mind of everything that I've seen. So I think this is the way that coaches look at it as well when they're calling plays. They go through the things in their mind in preparation, special situations, a game three years ago, and they're able to recollect that on the moment to win a game. So I just try to transfer that and use it for radio and TV with with the way that I I speak about the game. Well, I'll tell you this. You educated us and you educated our listeners. So uh, job well done. Uh, Dante, thank you so much for doing this today. Greatly appreciated. Um, Enjoy the game this weekend, and uh, hopefully we'll get to chat in the near future. Loved it today. Absolutely. And one thing is I love the city of Toronto. When I play for the Buffalo Bills, I visit Toronto every weekend pretty much to get out of there. So (laughs) if I wasn't in Buffalo, I was in Toronto. We love it. uh, it, yeah, yeah, York, York Street, Yorkville, and there's a hotel over there where I always get the lobster spoons. Okay, all right, we gotta look. We're gonna look into that. Yeah, Yorkville is is quite the spot. Um, I've only been there a couple times, um, but the places that I have been, it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so you can lose a lot of money on in Yorkville. <laughs> yeah, so. you sure can. Uh, Dante, thanks so much. Take care and uh, enjoy the game this weekend. All right, thank you guys for having me. There he goes, Dante Whitner, Pro Bowl safety. Buffalo Bills, Cleveland Browns, San Francisco 49ers played in the Super Bowl in 2013. Uh, that was fun. So much fun. Ugh, I could just. That's why this matchup this weekend between Andy Reid against Steve Wilkes and Steve Spagnolo against Kyle Shanahan is going to be fantastic. Do you know what Andy Reid's record is in the postseason when he's had a bye? I believe. Has he lost? Six and one. Lost to Brady. Uh, when they had no O line, right? Uh, yes, in, 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 in Belichick, but six and one. So yeah, the the chess match is gonna be so fascinating. I can't wait. Yeah, this is gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, it's time for Bet Slip, brought to you by Proline Plus, the only sportsbook where one hundred percent of the profits go back to Ontario. So I wrote this down yesterday, and I I don't really look up news or anything, but here we go anyway. 
Um, what team apparel will Drake be wearing on Sunday? If he's wearing any apparel at all on Sunday, Donovan, it's uh, Kansas City is the favorite. San Francisco is the underdog. Uh, there was no option for naked and on camera, so we can't we can't select that one. The Chiefs already have a famous pop star repping them. But hold on, though. This is also going to determine who the winner is. Because no. if Drake's wearing it, they're going to lose. <laughs> then they're going to lose. The Niners famously walk in with a boombox playing. So I think the Niners walk in listening to some Drake. You know, he's got a song with J. Cole talking about big as the Super Bowl. Chiefs walk in playing Bad Blood. I think Drake reps the Niners. Um, this guy is, the, is a bigger front runner than the Dallas defense. So I think he is trying to get on board. Like Travis Kelsey has Taylor Swift. Drake wants Patrick Mahomes. Drake's going to be wearing something Kansas City Chiefs. And then they're going to lose to the Niners. Is that your prediction? No. Okay. But I'm just saying if that's what he's wearing, which I think that's what he's going to be wearing. We all know how this turns out. It doesn't turn out very well for the team that gets repped by Drake. Keep your clothes on, sir. That was Bet Slip brought to you by ProLine Plus, the only sportsbook where 100% of the profits go back to Ontario. Well, one more show tomorrow before the big game. We're going to talk about Super Bowl plans. We're going to take texts on your favorite Super Bowl food. I got lots of good ones. And then we're going to talk about the game. Yeah, there's that game on Sunday, too, that we need to talk about. Just a quiet little thing. We'll see what happens. Thanks to Lance behind the glass. Donovan across the table. Thank you to Dante Whitner. If you missed that one, check out the podcast. Matt Marchese signing off. This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network.